I'm going to be short this morning. I've got about 25 minutes, I reckon, to uh, pack about two and a half hours worth of material in. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be flying through this morning, but I'm sure it'll be good and uh, God will bless us. Let me just pray for that. Lord, I ask you as I preach, I ask would you please anoint me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray this would be useful. I pray, Lord, actually it would be life-changing. Lord, I ask you, Lord God, that we would meet with you and be transformed by your grace and power. Amen. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Now, if I were to ask you, would you like to change some aspect of your life, put your hand up if that is the case. Excellent. I assume that that would be the case. Now, when it comes to changing our lives, we often think that if I can change something externally, it will affect what is going on internally. So, behind me is going to go a picture of a young lady. Does anyone know who she is? Alexandra Burke. She was on X Factor a couple of years ago. She actually won the X Factor and has done rather well since. Before the X Factor, um, she was living in North London in Islington in a council house with her four brothers and sisters um, and with her mum. And uh, it was all a bit of a squash um, to fit in there. I think she was singing in clubs and pubs and stuff like that. She went on the X Factor, she got recognised and pretty much overnight became certainly a national star, if not a world sort of famous around the globe star. Something changed externally that had quite a big effect on her life. Um, These people may be less familiar to you. This is Neil Jones and Julie Kirkham. They won £2.4 million on the National Lottery. Something Something changed externally in their life. And it had a pretty big dramatic effect. Their plans for spending the first bit of their money was a new house, A holiday in Egypt, I personally wouldn't recommend that at the moment, but if they want to go to Egypt on holiday, then that's absolutely fine. And they said they were going to spend a lot of money on Christmas presents. Again, something externally happened that probably had quite a big impact on their lives. But when the Bible talks about change, it doesn't talk about things changing externally in our circumstances, it talks about things changing internally, and that affects how we do life on the outside. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, we read about this change. So let me read it to you and then we'll dive in. So I tell you this, and I, I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now the Gentiles um, are are any people that are non-Jewish. So whenever you read the word Gentile, we though could, if we want to make it relevant for the setting we find ourselves in, we could, put, we could change the wording and we could say something along the lines that we must no longer live as the Hastingsites do or the Bexhillians do. We must no longer live like they do. So put into there whichever town or village you are from. And he gets a bit offensive now. He says, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Doesn't speak that positively, does he? You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that, they may, sorry, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And we see in this passage, we see to start with Paul who wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he describes this new life that they had received, but then he goes on to describe the new lifestyle that flows out of the new life that has been received. And so it starts with an internal transformation, he then goes on to describe what this new life should look like. You see, Paul and the Bible never explain um, a a moral way of living. They never talk about some moral life that needs to be um, uh, uh, undertaken without first explaining an inner change that needs to take place first to enable you to live in a new way. So I'm not just talking here about morals or a new lifestyle. I I will be touching first on the fact that we need an internal transformation if that new life is going to flow out. And if if you do not know Christ here, I may talk about these things and you may say, they're good things. I may try and do them myself. The problem is, you've got no power source or no one to help you to undertake that, so you'll be doing it on your own. And you may be a morally good person, you may become a self-righteous person actually on the back of it, but you won't have the source of God. You won't have God's help to change you from the inside first. So, Let's pick up verses 17 to 24 and I'll hopefully do a good job in communicating it. So we're going to start by looking at the new life. The new life that we have received. Paul starts by describing the life that we have been saved from and insisting that we must not live the same way as we did before. Paul, as it were, takes an overview of what our lives were like before So he starts describing it and then he says, however, you did not receive Christ in that way. So let's look at how, um, what we were living like um, before. And the first thing he says, oh cool, that was high. (laughs) Hey, maybe my voice is breaking. (laughs) The first thing he says is this, and it's like an overarching statement that he then goes on to unpack in verses 18 and 19. So he says in verse 17, 
that we must no longer live as the Hastingsites do. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? I have to come up with a new phrase. And he says, in the futility of their thinking. And I looked in the dictionary to find out what futile is. And what the dictionary says is it's a lack of usefulness or effectiveness. An action that has no use, purpose or effect. So Paul is saying here that before we came to know Christ, our thinking was futile. It had a, as it were, a lack of usefulness or a lack of effectiveness. And then in verses 18 and 19, Paul goes on to describe why. And the first thing he says in verse 18 is, because they were darkened in their understanding. In other words, they cannot see clearly. And sin always does that. Whether you know Christ or not, if you persist in sin or if you persist in a way of living that you know is wrong, it darkens your thinking. It's as though um, the lights slowly start to go out and you cannot make good decisions based on what is around you because you cannot see clearly. You have been darkened in your thinking. The Bible says that those without God are missing big chunks of truth when making big decisions. They view God maybe, they may view God in a way that is not revealed in the Bible. They're missing big chunks of truth that they need. It then goes on in verse 18 to say they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see, sin separates you from God. We've been talking this morning or singing about how wonderful it is to know the the Saviour that we know, but the reason we can know him is because the problem of sin has been taken away. But if the issue or problem of sin has not been taken away, it separates you, it does not allow you to come to know the God who made you. But sin doesn't only separate you before you come to know God, it can also separate you as a Christian. You can't can't lose your salvation, but it will affect your relationship with God. And so if you're sat here today, and you know, even as I'm talking, that there are issues in your life that you have not dealt with, they will form a barrier between you and God in your relationship in your experiential relationship with God. They will actually cause, if you persist in it, for your thinking to become darkened as well. It will affect how you live life because sin separates. God does forgive sin, but he only forgives sin when you repent from it. If you continue to live in disobedience to God, he's not mocked, he knows it. So you need to sort yourself out, you need to work it through with God. If you continue to persist in sin, it goes on to say really that you've got, what does it say? It goes on to say that your heart will be hardened. You see, if you persist in a lifestyle of sin, if you persist in a lifestyle that you know is wrong, there are two possible outcomes. The first outcome is this, that you repent. By God's grace, He reveals the sin, 
He convicts it, he convicts you, and he leads you to a point of humble repentance. It may hurt, but that's the best option. The other option, and this is what's described in this verse, is this, is your heart gets hardened. Even the things that you know are wrong, you continue to do, you don't stop. And if anything, you justify it. You may even come to believe that the things that you were doing that you formerly thought were wrong are now right. And they're justifiable and they're okay. God knows he understands my weaknesses and hey, he puts up with my sin. Actually, he still loves me. Everything's okay and he does still love you. But you can become darkened in your thinking and hardened in your heart. And it's important, why does Paul, just to, to, to take a little side thing here, why does Paul put this in the book to, to the church at Ephesus? Because he was writing to Christians. He put it there because some Christians were living just in the same way as they had been before they came to know Christ. And he's saying that's wrong. You've got to stop it. And if you don't stop it, the very same process that you were on before is the very same process that you're on now. Your thinking becomes darkened, your life becomes separated from God relationally, your heart becomes hardened, and even when someone comes up to you and says, you do know that what you're doing is wrong, you say, no it's not. The, no, no, although it plainly says it in the Bible, no, no, God, that, God's changed. He, he doesn't, what, what it says in the Bible, that's what, it, you know, that might have been what he thought 2,000 years ago, but hey, he's quite a modern God now. This isn't relevant quite like that now. When it says that God loves me, no, no, that's relevant. But when it says God gets angry with sin, no, 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 that bit isn't relevant. Now we know, don't we, we can't pick and choose with the Bible. So the reason Paul put this in the letter to the church at Ephesus is because it was relevant for them. Therefore, in likelihood, it's relevant for us as well. And there are people sat here today, and you know as I'm talking... There's a sin that's popped into your head and you know you've got to get it sorted out. And that is the very sin that this is relevant to. Don't don't try and pretend, no, 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 I don't know why that came in. It came in because the Holy Spirit was convicting you. And you need to sort it out. You need to repent. So you get a choice. You can either repent of your sin or your heart gets hardened. And then in verse 19 it goes on and it doesn't get better really as these verses go and it says, having lost all sensitivity. You see, God gives us the sensitivity when we come to know him to the spirit. But if we continue to persist in a lifestyle that doesn't please God, in the end, our sensitivity to God gets seared. Our conscience gets seared. So the first time we did something, we felt absolutely awful. We were heartbroken. We were gutted by it. But by the time you've done it a dozen times, hey, I guess God isn't that worried. Well, actually, no, he's just as concerned as he was the first time. But our consciences have become seared. We've lost sensitivity. Our conviction and conscience are precious gifts from God. We need to look after them. And then it goes on to say, they have given themselves over to sensuality and to indulge in every kind of impurity. The ESV says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And then he goes on to say, with a continual lust for more. Can you see it's like a process, a step. A step each time, a stepping on. 
And it finishes really the crescendo, if you want to call it that, is that you finish with a continual lust for more of what you know God does not want you to do. There is less and less restraint. You become addicted to the very thing that brought you some form of delight initially. In the end, it owns you. You find that you have an ever-growing desire for something, but actually there is an ever-diminishing pleasure gained from following that activity. The desire gets stronger, the pleasure gets smaller. You're getting a worse and worse return and getting further and further from God. So you'd see it obviously maybe whether it would be with something like drug addiction. That initial high when you first take a drug, you can could, you could never get back there again. You have to take more and more for an ever-diminishing feel-good factor. But actually it's the same with any sin, anything you give yourself to, that is the case. Paul has taken time to describe our past life He hasn't glamorised it, he's done it because he wants to, and this is where he gets to, he then says, you however did not come to know Christ that way. Come on guys, you didn't come to know Christ that way, why are you still living in the same way that you were living before? You know the consequences, you know the sin, you know the sadness it caused, you know the destroyed lives and the destruction, why are you still living in the same way or why are you walking down that path again? Why are you flirting with things you know are wrong? You didn't come to know Christ that way. Paul wants to reinforce it again. How did you receive Christ? You received Christ through faith and repentance. You believe God had something better for you than the old life that you were once in. Something called eternal life. Life for now. But also repentance. What does that mean? It means I'm not Lord of my life anymore. It's not my personal desires or wants that take primary position in my life. It's what God wants for me. That's repentance. So I turn my back on that. I'm following Jesus Christ. How did I receive Christ? Through faith and repentance in him. How do I live every day? Faith and repentance. It doesn't change. I don't then go on to a new system or a new strategy. And it's interesting, isn't it, that what Paul says here, I I know for you, some of you, you'd say, you know, I've heard some of this stuff before, but I pray the Holy Spirit will make it live to you afresh. Is it? look, look Look at verse 20. So if you've got your Bibles, look at verse 20 of chapter 4. It says this, You, however, did not come to church that way. doesn't say that, does he? He said, You, however, did not come to friendships that way. You did not come to rule-keeping that way. He says, You did not come to know Christ that way. Did you know that the goal of your life is to know Jesus Christ. Did you know that? The goal of your life is to get to know him as well as you possibly can and throw yourself into your relationship with him. That's what you're about. That's what we're about. And so when he says, he says, how did you come to know Christ? And so as we're living our lives, do you know a good question it is to ask? 
is what I'm doing helping me know Christ better or is it taking me away from him? If you're trying to make a judgement call, should I be doing this or not? Does it help me know Christ better? Or is it taking me away from him? Because you cannot pursue Christ and sin at the same time. Jesus is heading this way. If you want to pursue sin, it's following that way. Do not pretend or try and justify that you can do both at the same time. You can't. You can't. Jesus says... If you love me, you will obey my teaching. And then in verse 21, he goes on to say this, Surely you've heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. When you put your trust in Christ, something radical happened, part of you died, you were joined to, you were joined to Christ and also something came alive within you. And on the screen behind me, some words are going to come up from Romans chapter 6. These are wonderful words. This describes what happened the day you became a Christian. Or I think it does, anyway. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to... as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him. Offer every part of yourself to him. Not not just some bits. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but you're under... You're under... We're under grace. When you became a Christian... I'm sorry, I will will get... um, carried away just for a few moments here. When you became a Christian, it wasn't a patch-up job, was it, guys? It wasn't like, you know, oh, we give Ali a fresh lick of paint, you know? But over, over a bit of time and over the cares and troubles that he faces, hey, before you know it, the rust is showing through again. The decay is still there. You know, he's trying to put a facade on of being a nice Christian guy, but hey, he hasn't been able to cut it. When you came to Christ and confessed him as your Lord and Saviour, the Father by the Holy Spirit included you in Christ. When Christ died, what happened to you? Come on, you mighty theologians. What happened when Christ died? What happened to you? You died with him. You died to the power of sin. The rule of sin in your life was broken. When Christ rose from the dead, what happened to you? You rose with him to new life, to a fresh start. You were born again. It's not a patch-up job, it's a new start. You have been born again, a fresh beginning. You have been rewired internally. You've got new circuit boards. The old 40 circuit boards died, they crashed, you took them out. New circuit boards were put in that are perfect and reflect the maker's instructions to the letter. You have been given a fresh start. Therefore, we have an obligation. But it isn't to sin. Our obligation is to who? 
Come on, guys. We've only got five minutes. You've got to stay with me. Five minutes. Who have we got an obligation to? To Christ. You've been born again. So if you're going to offer your members, if you're going to offer your hands to something, who do you offer them to? Do you offer them to sin? No, because you're dead to sin. Who do you offer them to? With your tongue, when you're going to speak, who do you offer your tongue to? Is it to sin? No. Well, who's it to? Yes, yeah, so you, you talk in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. Why? Because we do have an obligation now. It's not to sin. Because you've died to sin. You are included in Christ. The sin problem that you had has finished. You are included in Christ. Whatever happened to him on the cross happened to you. You got a fresh start. And so we do have an obligation, but it isn't to sin anymore, it's to righteousness, it's to Jesus Christ. Now I know for some of you, what's ticking around in your head is, but why do I sin? Well, sometimes you sin because you're daft. (laughs) That's why, because you don't realise, you don't realise that you've died to sin, he's not your master anymore. He keeps shouting to you, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do the other. No, you don't. What you have to do is follow Jesus. He's our master now. He's the one we love now. I said, didn't I, when we became a Christian, well, actually we got a new person on the throne of our lives. It's not me anymore. It's not sin anymore. It's Jesus. So if we have an obligation, it is to follow him. We have an obligation to follow him because you have died, but you have risen again. And in verses 22 to 24, Paul talks about taking things off and putting things on. In the morning you get dressed. Well, hopefully you do anyway. I notice most of you have managed it this morning. Except for that person, no. (laughs) In the morning you get dressed. You get dressed depending on what you're planning to do with the day. So Pete, top quality electrician, completely recommended. Probably shouldn't do that, should I? But I will anyway. He's, He's a great electrician. When he gets dressed, he puts his overalls on, he gets in his van, he gets his tools together. Why? Because he's going to do an electrical job. When he comes to church, he wears different clothes, he probably drives a different vehicle, he comes with a different mindset. And Paul talks about taking things off and putting things on. You see, we've been born again. We now have an obligation, it's to Jesus Christ, so we need to take things off that don't line up with the lifestyle that Jesus has got for us and we put things on that reflect who he is. Why? Because we're dead to sin, but we're alive to God. And as it says in verse 13 of Romans 6, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Not any part of you, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And as we move through from verses 25 through to 32, all Paul is doing here is he's talking about things we take off and things that we put on. And so, um, Liz, could you put up the table? So if you read through from verses 25 to 32, you'll notice he says, take this off, put this on, and this is the reason why you need to do it. And as we close, I'm just going to fly through these things, but I pray, Holy Spirit, if there's lifestyle things, if there's things we need to take off, I pray you would convict us this morning. But I pray, Lord, it wouldn't come with condemnation, I pray, Lord, that there would be faith and hope because we're not only told to take things off, we're told to do other things in their place. 
So the first thing we're told to do is we're told not to lie anymore. I've got to take lying off. But I will speak truthfully, in its place I will put on speaking truthfully, even if it puts me out my comfort zone, for the good of myself and others. Sometimes we need to talk truthfully for the good of those around us because they need to hear your honest feedback even if it hurts. Sometimes I know that I, am, I have a desire to keep quiet because I prefer an easy life to a difficult one. I'm sure many of you can relate with what I'm saying. And it's not that we go around telling everyone all the things they've done wrong. Please, no, not at all. But those that are near and dear to us, those we trust and that trust us, sometimes I think we shy away from having difficult conversations because it's just easier not to bother. But the Bible says we've got to speak truthfully. Why? Because we're family and I'm committed to those around me. Next thing he says is, when I'm angry, he says, in your anger, do not sin. When I'm angry, I'm not going to explode and I'm not going to fester. I reckon they're the two options that happen when you get angry. You can over, either explode in emotion or you internalise it and you fester. They're, they're pretty much the two options. The, the Bible says, no, you're not to do that. So when you get angry, and sometimes it's alright, it can be righteous anger. When you get angry, when it's possible, before the end of the day, you need to deal with the issue or deal with the problem. Why? Because we don't want to let the devil get a foothold in our lives. And anger can very quickly turn into bitterness if it's not dealt with. He then goes on and says, we've got to remember this is the church at Ephesus he's talking to. So lying? <laughs> One of Paul's churches, there are people lying in it. There's people who are angry. No, couldn't be. There are people stealing. Yeah, there were. So what do I take off? I will not take money or things that are not mine or I'm not entitled to. But I will work with my hands. I will do something productive whether it earns money or not. And so I know for some of you, you would dearly love to work but you're unable to get paid employment. It's very important that you're productive while you're waiting for work. Why? The Bible says so that you can share with those in need. And we must be very careful that we don't take things that don't belong to us or we're not entitled to. So when it comes to benefits, when it comes to tax and things like that, we need to make sure that we take what is right but do not go beyond that. He moves on and says, let no unwholesome talk come out from our mouths. I will not discuss things that cause harm to those who are listening or to someone not present. And I think that whole word of unwholesome, is the way you're talking wholesome or not? Is it doing good or not? Is it making someone healthy? Is it bringing health to the situation or not? I will choose to speak, what do I put on? I will choose to speak positively and in a way that makes those around me stronger. 
Why? So that it will benefit those who listen. Can you, can you see then? There's something we take off, there's something we put on, and there's a reason why we do it. And then lastly, I will take off bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander. I will put on kindness, compassion and forgiveness even when I don't feel like it. Why? Because Christ forgave me. And Paul's very practical, he's very down to earth. But, but how and why are we able to do this? Because I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. I've got a new heart. And it's very practical. Now I think a danger that we as Christians can have is that we can get really good at rule keeping but that turns us to be a bit cold You see, the real skill in everything I'm talking about is we have lives that glorify Jesus Christ and yet the vilest offender who walks through our doors or comes to our community group feels absolutely at peace and comfortable with us. See, the challenge is for us to be like Jesus and yet to be so open and accepting that anyone can come across our path without feeling any guilt or conviction in that sense, unless God's bringing it. And that's a challenge, that in all of this, as we follow Christ, we remain warm in our personalities and not cold. That this isn't about rule-keeping or following the rules, it's about a relationship with Jesus and living a life that pleases him and we want to follow him. In chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it, it says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. God has wonderfully given us so much. He is totally a God of love, but also he's, he's not a God who is mocked. And so if you're here today and you know there are changes you've got to make, this morning's a very good morning to repent. Come to God and say, Lord, I want to put it right today. Lord, forgive me for my sin. I turn my back on it. If I need help, I'll go and talk to someone I trust. I'm going to confess my sin to them and they're going to pray with me. That in itself will break a degree of power that has got over you. But you need to remember, you are dead to and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's stand on our feet. We're going to close now. Lord, we... We love you and we are so grateful for dying for us on a cross. Lord, your perfect life, Lord, and death has enabled us to have such wonderful free access into your presence, to enjoy you in worship, to know the peace and freedom that comes. And Lord, we say, Lord, we choose not to dabble with that old way of life. It got us nowhere, Lord. 
It got us more messed up, more tangled up. Lord, we, we were ridden with guilt. We were overcome with lust. Lord, we say we turn our back on it. Lord, our desire is to pursue you. If you know that God has spoken something over you, and there have been many of you that he has, probably the majority, just give a few seconds for you just to repent before God. Say, Lord, I am so sorry for this. I repent of it. I turn my back. Will you please forgive me for my sin? Thank you, Lord, that complete forgiveness is available in Christ. Just give you a few seconds for that. Lord, I thank you. Forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. Complete, utter forgiveness. Lord, I thank you as well that you don't just ask us, as it were, to take something off, but you tell us to put stuff on. Lord, I thank you you've got wonderful lives for us individually and corporately in the future. You've got so much for us. Lord, we say we wholeheartedly give ourselves to you again pursue you, to follow you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If, if you are struggling in an area and you know it's been a problem for a while, I would encourage you to talk maybe to your community group leader or a community group pastor. Richard and Anna um, will be at the front um, for a few moments at the end of the meeting. They don't know I'm going to say this, Richard. And Anna, could you quickly come up on the stage? Very quickly. I'll only be a second. Quick, quick. Richard and Anna lead our Freedom in Team, uh, Freedom in Team, Freedom in Christ um, ministry. Um, it's an excellent work and all it does is take what I've preached on this morning and it unpacks it over a number of weeks so that we can become thoroughly acquainted with the truth and we can then line our lives up with what the truth in the Bible says. If you want to know any more about that, Richard and Anna will be at the front at the end of the meeting. If you don't know who to talk to, but you'd like good people to talk to about some stuff going on in your life at the moment, come and talk with Richard and Anna. They'd be very happy to chat to you um, about that. We'll close it up there. Have a great afternoon and a great week, and do hang around and enjoy a cup of coffee um, with everyone. Thank you very much.